Hi, everyone, and welcome to Televisions, the podcast, an audio companion to the Televisions website and a show made by Anglophiles for Anglophiles. I am Lacey barger Milas, and I'm the editor here at Televisions. And joining me as per usual is my co-host, Miss Annie Bundle. Hello. Hello. How are you today? I am like, I know I use my interest here to just really like work out a lot of my feelings about the world. Um, but I don't know. Everything seems really bad right now. And if you have like cat pictures or something that you would like to send me to cheer me up, that would be great. I'm uh, sorry. We, we lost a very dear colleague here at, at WETA a couple of weeks ago, and we're all still we're all still reeling from it a little bit. So we love you, John Bagney, and we miss you. Um, what are we talking about today? Actually, it's a terrible segue because this is a show about murder. But um, ignore that. That has nothing to do with my my personal sadness because this is actually like one of the better shows that we watch. I think it is the new season of Unforgotten. It is season five. We are only going to talk about the premiere, which I actually don't know how helpful that will be for us or any of you because there is just a lot happening and it's all very confusing. But uh, there's a new D. DI? She DCI. DI DCI. I don't know. One of these days I'll actually learn. All right. So DCI is a uh, detective constable inspector or, or commander inspector. Basically, it's the it's the highest one. DI, um, detective inspector, is the second one down. DS is detective sergeant, and that's the sort of bagman part. So always think of the, the DCI is is the Fred Thursday and the DS is the Morse. Oh, I always forget that technically Morse was Thursday's yes. like second person because yes. the show never super treated him like. Okay, that. so in in the first season, in the first four seasons, Nicola Walker played the DCI, Cassandra Stewart, um, and Sanji Faskar uh, was Sunny, her bagman. He was the DS. He has now been promoted to DI since her passing, but he wouldn't take the commander role. Um, and so instead they have hired DCI Jessica James, a.k.a. Jesse James, um, who is now I'm singing the share song. Yes. Um, in um, my head, it's okay. which I won't sing now because I think it might be a copyright violation, but you all know what it is. It's also an incredibly wordy song. Good God, woman. Look, we all have no share slander on this podcast. I know. I'm not. I love the song. I'm just saying that, God, that's a wordy song. Like, even Cher has said that is an incredibly difficult song to sing because it is so wordy. Anyway. Um, anyway, point being is that she has now ridden into town and... Uh, Sonny and the rest of the colleagues who have been left behind by Stuart are trying to deal with having basically a new boss while still grieving their old boss. And I uh, I wanted to do an episode on this um, on the first episode just because um, for two reasons. One, because we have this brand new dynamic and every single mystery series that goes past a certain point starts to need to be able to do cast turnover. It is very rare that you have a Father Brown where Mark Williams just basically lives there forever. Okay? Like, Grant Chester, we are going towards our third vicar next year. Um... You know, we have a we've 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 uh, seen, you know, Miss Fisher basically ended because S.E. Davis wanted to leave. Um, Nicola Walker was done with the show and she wanted to go do Annika. And, you know, she basically felt that her I mean, story you can feel however you need to feel about that particular trade off. I mean, it's also that she felt that her storyline with Cassie had basically reached an end point, And so did the series creator. Um, so the two of them decided to to 
to end her life. And they decided to end it in a very I, a controversial manner, honestly. They didn't have her killed in the line of duty. They had her death be a senseless drunk driver slamming into her that had nothing to do with her case and just took her life randomly a few days before she was set to retire. Um, and, you know, I think... I, I think that's actually very good for the show in that it really does upend the the whole dynamic. Um, you know, Sinead Keenan is a fantastic actor. And I think that her trying to come into this very tight-knit group who have all gone through this extremely traumatic moment together of losing Stuart is is a great is a is a, is a great source of conflict. Um, and that by itself would have made a perfectly great hour of television. But because this is unforgotten and it wasn't going to change up its format, mixed in with this, we also still have our regularly scheduled four suspects and their families played by A-list actors who were introduced along with this. And that made for a very complex and rather confusing opening because you had a lot thrown at you all at once. And I felt that that was one of the reasons why we were going to need to do a podcast just on this episode so that we could sort of break down everything you learned because you you learned a lot in this episode and it was it was it it wasn't always clear what you were learning, if that makes any sense. Um, I will agree with that. <laughs> I think I said this last season. I don't I'm not the biggest fan of the way they set this format up because I think it's really apparent in this episode and probably will be for at least one more is that it just feels like there's two different shows happening. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't do a super great job. Like I know because this is the formula of the show that eventually all of these people will have some weird reason why their lives connect. But like right now it, it just feels like every time I get invested in some scene, I have to cut to some other scene that I don't care about. I, I can totally understand that. Um, honestly, this is the first time the first episode has felt this disconnected since Unforgotten's very first season. And that's partly because season two, they made it very obvious. Seasons two and three, they made it very obvious very quickly that the vic that the suspects all knew each other somehow. And that they were all connected somehow. Yeah, like I just don't have any idea how the two junkies in in like a tenement flat have anything to do with the vegan restaurant owners and the like posh guy, the posh politician dude who has cancer, and yeah, and then an, and then a random dude who's basically like um, an Uber driver but French. Um, no, he's British. Okay, see here's here you go. He's actually he's British. He's his mother lives in England. They sent him to uni. He dropped out. Um, and now he is working in a warehouse eight hours a day and then Uber driving at night for two different French Uber clones. So he basically works like 15 hours a day every day to make ends meet. Like this is the what what are these this is the most disjointed I have felt 
about four characters than since the first season, um, where the first season was basically like a priest and a politician and a, a lady who was like a, a, a soccer mentor. And I don't even remember who the fourth one was. Oh, a guy, a paraplegic um, who was uh, married to a woman who's who was sinking into dementia. Um, and like they really never felt like they were connected. And even when they were connected by the end of the season, it still felt tenuous like the only real connection they had is they all happened to live in this one tenement house for like three months right and it really was like it really was that they were basically unconnected and i think that was part of the reason why season one felt very unsatisfying season one felt very unsatisfying for many reasons but i think that's why from then on season season two season three and season four all basically had these characters really have like a deep connection um and a deep friend and deep friendships that that some of which had broken apart some of which hadn't but at one time they had been very very tight and i think that's because that feels very satisfying to see that get pieced together um the only thing i could possibly guess and this isn't to be my guess is that they are somehow connected through some sort of like rehab situation um, or ah. like drug counseling or something, because we have at least two of them confirmed to be substance abusers of some type. And I don't know, posh people always drink too much. <laughs> I'm just guessing. That's like the only. That's like the only. Like that's the only even remotely like connective through line I can see. Well, no, no, no. You're 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 not just. A- if you remember at the very end of the first episode, um, when when Posh Dude goes home, Lord Tony, whatever his name is, goes home, um, his wife is nattering on about oh, how... Oh, right. Maybe it's his son that was in the substance abuse, mm-hmm, whatever. About the, how the son... She's like, how much can these young girls drink? Right? Which makes it very obvious that it, Will is basically in trouble. For, their son's name is Will, is in trouble for buying alcohol for young girls and and has gotten in trouble for school for it. And they're trying to basically cover for him again. Um, so, yeah, there actually, there's three right there. I That's really impressive because I didn't catch that. I was so focused on like the other character on like figuring out who was who. And well, part of it is that I just thought the scene where she punched him in the face in the car was just no, that unintentionally was... hilarious. Like I was not I know I'm a bad person because I was not supposed to just like lose it watching that scene. But I did. It was so ridiculous. I just could not. I was convinced they were going to die that. That, that when she punched him in the face, I was convinced that the car was going to, like, go off the side of the cliff or something. Like, I was 100% waiting for them to, like, have a serious accident. Um, or to crash into Lord What's-His-Face, who was also driving home. Anyway, that's my early theory. Book it. You heard it here first. I, I actually think that's a very good theory, and I'm, I am I wish I'd thought of it, because that's really smart. Um, okay, so here here's the situation. So we have the new Jess James, who comes in, who... She literally the 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 morning of her job starting, her husband basically tells her that he is sleeping with somebody else and wants a divorce, as far as I can tell. No, no, he doesn't say divorce. They He just tells her about the affair and he keeps telling her that they're going to talk about it. They're going to talk about it. And then there's the scene with her mom where she is the one who says she thinks their marriage is probably over because she doesn't think that she can forget it, even if she can manage to forgive it. So all we know right now is dirtbag husband 
is having an affair with an unnamed third party. And she had no idea. Like, literally, she has him in her phone as my gorgeous husband. Like, he's not even that hot. Girl, set your sights higher. (laughs) Sorry, I didn't mean to lose it at that. But you are. um, I mean, honestly, you you do here to speak the truth to the people. (laughs) Um, The uh, the actor, by the way, is uh, who who plays her husband is Andrew Lancel, who is like uh, he's kind of a comedian. And I'm sort of like thrown by him being all very um, serious here. Um, anyway, um, it, he's not exactly the, a looker either. I would 100% agree. I also feel that that while James is in an untenable position at home with a husband that's had an affair that's probably going to end in divorce and her having to deal with suddenly becoming a single mother to their kid, Elliot. Um, I don't know if you caught that his kid's name was Elliot. I'm not actually sure they ever said it out loud. It was like on her phone and it was like on the computer. Um She's also been tasked with basically pivoting the entire series from cold cases to present day ones. And that was really the thing that just like, I think that that may have been the thing that distracted me most about this. I am wondering, like, is did that just because she would rather solve present day cases or did somebody tell her about that? I honestly like because I didn't watch the earlier seasons. I don't really understand this whole little division that they're all in, like, because now I get the sense that they are not like the cold case division. They've just sort of fallen into that somehow. They weren't. okay in season one, they weren't really the cold case division. But when Cassie Stewart took it over, she began to use it in that manner and they became very famous for solving cold cases. And so that's why this team solves cold cases. And there's a sense that, you know, because they're successful, the boss has always sort of the boss uh, being Adam Stewart, uh, being a who is what's his name? Clive Andrews. That's it. Um, he's the DSI. Um, he has always sort of come off as like, well, he's tolerating it because it's working, but he's not really on Cassie's side on this being a thing that's worth money. And so you can tell that. James A agrees that this is a waste of money, but also the 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 orders are coming from above that this is a waste of money. And that she's kind of been hired because she agrees with those orders from above. And so that's why she's here. Now, I have to say, and this is actually a thing that I think is the reason I was so distracted by this, is that one of the problems Unforgotten has is that it can't do cold cases that are too old. And that was proven in season one, because season one, as I said, it was the least satisfying of all of them. You've never watched it, but basically it's a 40 year old case when they find it. Everybody who is a suspect is in their 70s. Now, for the actual show, that was great. It meant they got like seriously like high end, like caliber, like. Yeah, but like how satisfying is it to put like an 85 year old in prison? Exactly. And not only was it that they put an 85-year-old in prison, it's that they put the para- it was the paraplegic who basically hid the fact that his wife, due to the fact that there wasn't medicine for postpartum uh, psychosis, had committed in a, sta- in a fugue state. So this woman who basically committed these murders she didn't remember, who was now in, in complete dementia, 
is the actual person who committed the murders and this guy who hasn't been able to walk for 30 years because he basically drove him. He tried to kill himself in his car because he couldn't live with what his wife had done. And instead, it just paralyzed himself, had to go to jail for her. Like, it was so unsatisfying. And so, like, there was no sense of justice to the ending. And, like, Cassie's like, hey, we did it. We, we, we got justice for this guy. And it's like, no, no, you didn't. You just punished a bunch of old people. And I, I think it's very telling. The show never once did that again. From every, every, every single season since then has been 20 years or less between the time of the season is like oh wow well, i can't do math what is what was it it's 2006 2016 this one is, oh that's right? even closer uh-huh this is six years ago and that is a i think that is actually a deliberate pivot by the show not just a pivot because like we're 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 not just a piece of conflict, but an actual pivot the show itself wants to make. Because cold cases that are too old don't work and aren't satisfying to the audience. And there's only so many mysteries from 20 years ago that you can really do. So by basically saying, well, the people above want us to do more recent cases, so a cold case has to be less than 10 years old, is actually a really smart choice for the show to make. Um, so that's honestly like that was the thing that distracted me the most. And I don't know how I I mean, I know why they're doing it and I don't think it's a bad thing, but I'm curious what you think of that. Um, I don't know that I have hard thoughts on it, but it also to me, like when I hear the phrase cold case, I do tend to think that it, you know, is 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 older than 2016. Mm hmm. Like, it's not even a decade. Right. Like all the other cases, one was like 98. No, one was uh, had to have been before 98 because it was a because I honestly think that it's interesting, like the solving of the case is whatever. But mm -hmm. I think one of the interesting parts, at least for me, is seeing how the people who are involved in it, once I figure out or the show bothers to tell me how they were involved in it, like how their lives kind of like diverged into something different from that moment. Like, how did they live with it? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I think that's more interesting. And, that, and I think it's I think it's. I mean, that's just not like a lot of time. Yeah, I, I have to agree with that. Um one of the things about the 40 years ago case is how far all of these people moved from it. Like one of the suspects used to be a skinhead and now she's married to a black man and she's literally like part of her life choices have been atoning for her skinhead years. And um, the one who is a priest has been hiding a child for 20 years from his family, right? Like there's a whole like thing that's going on that like, really is is fascinating in a lot of ways about you know cold cases and how these people live with themselves and the choices they make afterwards and like the only one where i feel like the actual justice was served truly is season two where no justice is served but everybody is sort of given a reprieve and finally they can stop holding the secret in and move on with their lives that's the only season that really and truly felt like justice was served. Season three turned one of the characters into a monster so that we would feel justice was served. But honestly, I don't feel like it was because this guy got away with it for so long. Wait, was that like the pedophile season? I'm just assuming. Um, That is that is the pedophile season. Yes, that yeah. is the pedophile. 
And then season four is the four cops covering things up. Um, yeah. And that was sort of satisfying, but it was so overshadowed by Cassie's death that you sort of didn't feel like it mattered in the end. Because you lost Cassie, and she never she got she never got to live to see these people. Well, and I also think like in our in the real world, we've just seen a lot of examples of the fact that like you can find out those things, and then maybe nothing really changes. So yes. I don't know how like impactful it feels. Yeah, I I one hundred percent agree with that too. There was no follow through, if you know what I mean. Like it's mm -mm. great to say that all of this happened, but like systemically, did anything change in those departments? I don't know. I mean, history says probably not that much, but maybe. Yeah. So four cops basically went to jail. End of story. Right. Like, I don't know. Um, for season five right now, as you said, this is this feels so much more disjointed as four suspects because they really and truly have like nothing in common on the surface. Um, that being said, you know, they have such a stellar cast. There's a there's a. Uh, what's his name from Game of Thrones? Who's the Lord Lord Tony, Lord Tony Hume? Uh -huh. See, I'm glad I wrote it down in my in my recap because <laughs> I couldn't remember his name. <laughs> that's uh, that's uh, wasn't that Sir Barristan Selmy yes! in Game of Thrones? Yeah. Yes, he is. Um, Haley did Mil him dirty in the show. He has a better arc in the books. Uh, Haley Mills, uh, the Haley Mills, the one from uh, the Parent Trap in the 70s, is his wife, Lady Emma. Um. Uh, Martina Laird is a uh, is Abel uh, Abel. I'm not sure how you pronounce her name. Um, but she's the she's the drunk who basically uh, or the 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 sober woman running the vegan Tony vegan restaurant in Bath who smashes her boyfriend who's played by Mark Frost in the face as he's driving. I mean, seriously, he's driving. Why did you hit him? What is wrong with you? <laughs> was hilarious i know it wasn't supposed to be hilarious but i found it hilarious but um yeah i don't know it's really because it's only one episode so it's really hard for me to figure out like who these people are or why i should care about them i think i probably was most interested in lord tony but only because he's played by sir barristan and i love that actor um he also had the most he also had some of the most to do in this episode not only did we see him with his doctor getting the cancer diagnosis but oh, then he's we like out doing he's out doing good works yes he's out there doing good work and charity and like mentoring teenagers and donating money and making sure the place runs nice and making friends and then he gets home and his wife clearly has <laughs> no idea that he has cancer Versus the other subplot where, like, people are just smoking crack, literally. And oh, that is their subplot. man. Okay. So, first off, that's, uh, that's uh, Ry uh, Rise Yates. Um, that's probably Reese, babe. Reese, Reese Yates. Uh, he, is a, he, is a, he is an up-and-comer. So, this is a really big step for him to get an unforgotten role like this. Um, he plays a hoodie. And I got to tell you, when we had that scene where he mugs the woman and runs off with her purse, I thought first that it was the nurse who was the suspect and then i thought it was the guy who called in the 911 the 999 call to the hospital that this woman had been mugged that was the suspect i did not realize it was going to be the mugger that was actually a really well done like turn by the show um to make me not realize which one of these three is the actual person i'm supposed to care about and then i'm supposed to care about the mugger and then the mugger goes and, like, buys his girlfriend, like, cups of noodles with the purse. And then he goes and he buys crack. And then they go back, or heroin, 
I'm not actually sure what they're smoking. I don't know. I, I got to admit, and I guess I just am old now or uncool or I was never cool because this was never my lane of, of extracurricular activity. I don't know how different drugs are done. I just assumed it was crack. Um, do you smoke heroin? I don't yes, you know. do. You do smoke heroin. That is a thing. Um, uh, honestly, uh, I, 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 um, I never dabbled beyond like pot and acid. Like I was never, I, I think I tried Coke once and decided that, that was a really bad idea because I was just the most wound up fast talking human being ever in the, on the planet. And that was a bad idea. Um, so never again, I. Um, so I don't really know quite what they're smoking. I'm not sure if it's supposed to be cracker heroin, but it's supposed to be something. The reason I think it's heroin is because of those marks around um, the 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 girlfriend's mouth, um, and that that reminded me very much of um, of of train spotting. Um, so yeah, I thought I have no idea. Uh, the girl, by the way, uh, that character's name is Cheryl. Um, and, uh, she basically ODs and I was thinking, okay, now we're going to, basically we're going to go to the hospital and Jay is going to get like arrested because that's where the nurses, the nurse got taken. And no, no, none of that happened either. Like he just got to take his girlfriend home after they revived her. End of list. Thanks, NIH. (laughs) NHS. I'm like, what the heck? Um, I think the most confusing of these characters was probably the Carol Wojcik, w- w- uh, uh, who's played by Max Reinhardt. Um, he's the one who's the British guy who is who, who is multilingual. He speaks French. He speaks Polish. He speaks English. Um, he is a massive disappointment to his mother. Um, he clearly works way too hard and now that you say the attic thing yeah he's a workaholic i mean maybe he just takes speed or uppers or something no i don't even know people still do speed um i'm pretty sure they do um but honestly like i i think you really i think you caught it here on on the attic thing because i i i commend you highly for that um because he is clearly a workaholic right now um, basically subbing in work for whatever his addiction used to be. And he's also very clearly a liar um, because he tells his mom that he has no girlfriend and his relationship is exactly the same as it was yesterday. And then when they get back to the apartment at like midnight and he lays down, there's his girlfriend. Who, by the way, and I only know this because I looked it up on IMDb, is the same actress who played one of Morse's girlfriends. Um, Morse's French girlfriend. Lord to be help specific. me! I never would have recognized that. Nope. And I didn't. I. 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 I mean, she was in the dark. You wouldn't know who she was. I just looked up who she was, and I was like, "Wait, I know that actress's name." And I tried to figure out where, where from, and it turned out it, she's she's Morse's French girlfriend from a couple of seasons ago. So, um, apparently she plays French girlfriends. That's what she does. Anyway, point being, um, I think that this is probably the most difficult set of characters to sort of track especially now that you also have to track basically the team because Sunny is kind of running the team under her without her knowing in a way and one of the things I thought was very fascinating is almost every, every not almost every single season of Unforgotten at the end of episode one, you know the name of the victim. And this is the first time that hasn't happened. 
Oh, interesting. Because they had so much to get through just to get the case from being closed that they never got to it. Well, I also don't, I don't, again, I don't know a lot about like dating of human remains stuffed up chimneys, but I feel like that's (laughs) got to be hard to suss out. Well, no, in all of them, it's always difficult. Um, season one, it was a guy who'd been buried in a basement. Oh, well, um, I guess they I guess they do start on the path to it because they find the um, like the thrift store receipt. Mm-hmm. And in in a season that didn't have quite as much drama going on behind the scenes, there would have been enough time for uh, Fran to come in at the end and say, we've got a suspect ID and tell us. But instead, because we have this whole DCI drama between Sonny and Jess, we end with Sonny basically beating the crap out of a bathroom door. <laughs> um, also, if anything, I felt like the only... We did actually solve a, 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 a mystery in the first episode, and that was the mystery of why this is the third DCI since Cassie died. <laughs> and it's because Sonny refuses to work with any of them. <laughs> well, then that makes me ask the question, why didn't he just take the job? If he's telling the truth and they've offered it to him and they begged him to take the job, why didn't he just take the job? I think there's like a misguided sense of loyalty that that he's not good enough to take her to to put himself in her shoes so he won't but it really is it's um i mean i think i've said this on the podcast before that i am a huge proponent of therapy and that i Ah. am driven mad by men who will do anything but go to therapy and apparently Sonny has reached the point where he will lie to sal about where he is when he misses dinner, he will go into bathrooms and beat the crap out of doors rather than go to therapy. And I don't like that. I need ther- I need Sonny to go to therapy. I need him and his backpack to get on a bus and go to therapy. Anyway, um, sorry. <laughs> um, so I, I think my question to you is, do you think this is going to be successful? Because one of the things that uh, as, as I said, the- this. Okay. When we moved from James Norton to Tom Brittany, it was not immediately obvious that Grant Chester was going to survive the switch. Like, it was on some level in that we had the episode where we didn't have any priest and we tagged Jordy up with Leonard and it was a great hour of television. And you could see that the ensemble was really strong and that the bones of the show could probably handle this. But we haven't gotten that here in Unforgotten. You know, we didn't get a, a, a Cassie-less episode where Sonny ran the team and we waited for the DCI to show up. And so the question is, do we think that 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 Jesse James, that, that, that Sinead Keenan and Jesse James will be a successful replacement for Nicola Walker as Cassie Stewart in this show? Do we think that this will run several seasons with her at the helm? Or do we think the show will basically take the out that they've given themselves to have her basically go take a desk job and get a different DCI next year? Um, I'm going to come back to that last part in a second, because mm-hmm. I think that's... No, I know. That was a compound question. Unrelated. Just sort of... Um, 
I would say that I think this show from like a 50,000 foot view perspective is probably better positioned to succeed at cast swap outs like this than Grandchester was because so much of Grandchester is about Grandchester. Like it is about that community and the bonds between all the people that live in that community. Like even if the vicar is different, all of those other people are still there. Like it still feels like the same show because it's built differently. Yes. You could have an you could have a vicarless mystery episode and it would work. I think but I but I think you have to cast correctly in that situation. You have to find someone that f- and and make a character that fits in that existing setup. Do you know what mm-hmm. I mean? This is just a cop show. Like it's a fancier cop show with like loftier ideals and more complicated mysteries, but it's a cop show. And a few BAFTAs. Um, I mean, it's a cop show. And yeah. and I don't think The ensemble that... isn't there in that scene. I think this is the closest I've ever felt to the people below Cassie and Sonny being part of the ensemble. I think Fran is the only one who ever stood out before. Murray never stood out to me. Kaz never stood out to me. I literally have no idea who Murray is. Murray is the Murray is the chubby guy. The chubby is the chubby white dude. Kaz is the brown haired lady. And Could then not have the, told you their names, but I do right? like Fran. Right? Like they never stood out. That's my point: is that you don't know their names. Oh well, yeah, but I think that's actually I think that's actually why it's easier. And. I think it's easier in a show like that to to take pieces in and out but and keep the sort of premise moving rather than swapping out vicars all the time but you have to make sure that that whatever vicar you put in the in the hole left behind still makes sense in the fabric of that world. This world doesn't really have a fabric, so to speak. Not at least not in the same way and I think it should be fine. I really like Sinead Keenan. It took me until I heard her talk to realize that where I knew her from, and it was because she was on the original BBC Being Human. She was uh, Russell Tovey's werewolf girlfriend, Nina, and she was wonderful. And I loved that show so much, so much better than the American version. And I am excited for her to, you know, I'm excited that she gets to do this because I think I think she's a good actress. But, like, I don't think... I don't think the format of the show is 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 limiting in that way. I think if they wanted to bring new people in and out, they could absolutely do it. If she only wants to do this for a year and they bring in another DCI or Sunny becomes DCI or whatever, like because the it's already sort of baked in, if that makes sense. No, that that that's a good point because you know I hadn't really thought of it until you said it's just a it's a fancy cop show with BAFTAs and 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 you know critical acclaim and boasting but in the end it is just it could be law and order unforgotten right yeah there was a law and order that was about cold cases wasn't there was there i don't remember i don't remember there was definitely there's so many anyway point being that like and and law and order does just fine no matter who is running you know it doesn't matter who the actual uh cop team is as long as they're doing the same thing to the same music with the dun-duns um, yeah, I mean, no, no disrespect to Nicola Walker, who I think was really great as Cassie, and I think Cassie was a really interesting character. But mm-hmm. I also don't think Cassie was irreplaceable. I don't think Sonny's irreplaceable. I mean, I, I think I think shows like Grantchester have to. I mean, obviously Tom Brittany wasn't, you know, is replaceable as well. But I think Grantchester has a work a lot, to work a lot harder to justify it than Unforgotten does. 
and also that we have a that that each time they switch out the vicar it has to also be different like you can't just have the same kind of character come in each time each one has to have a different flavor and yet still also work with the ensemble and also like make you see different sides of the ensemble you know like tom Brittany brought out like a lot more like fatherly feelings in Jordy than than James Norton ever did, right? Like that's just that's just how that character that's how those characters related, and I think that that is um, you're right. I don't think that that matters so much. I do think that there is quite a lot of drama in the whole. We're gonna ch- everything you know is changing, and I think that's, yeah. that. I mean, and I think there's obviously a lot of drama to be mined in the Sunny and and Jess relationship because it is a 180 from Sonny and Cassie who were very close and mm-hmm. these two don't like each other and like there's a there's a, a new kind of tension there that the show hasn't done before but I also have watched TV before and do not think that tension will always be there no I'm I'm 100% sure that at some point this case will click and the two of them will become friends I also but I also know don't think you know one of the things that happens in is you I'm, I'm, you've never watched season one, but in season one, when Sonny and Cassie first start to work together, they go out to the pub and there is a moment where they're like, do we go home together? Like, oh. it's a real moment of like, and then they both decide that they are not, that that's not the relationship they want to have. And they walk away from each other and decide to be friends. That makes me extremely uncomfortable. Well, no, like it was actually a little like, whoa, are we going to? And then they decided against it. And it's one of it was actually the first moment where I decided that I really liked Unforgotten, that they looked at that and they said no. And that they didn't try to make it like a, a, a moonlighting thing either. Like, no, we're just friends and we work as friends and we're great as friends. And that to me was so good. And I don't ever see that happening with Jess, which I also really like. Because it means that his relationship with her will never be a repeat of what we had with him and Cassie. Um, I, you know, I have said to several people recently when they asked me about Annika, which is the new Nicola Walker show, whether or not I like it. I tell them it has potential that I see in it that it has has so much room to grow. And I feel that that's a lot like how I felt about Unforgotten from the beginning, that this is a show that has grown every single season that I have watched it. And I feel like this season I'm watching it grow again and mature again. And it's, I think the part about this new casting that I like the most, I mean, I do love Sinead Keenan. Don't get me wrong. She was, she was the best thing about show Charles season one. And honestly, I'm sorry she won't be back for show trial season two, but I'm also really glad that they're making that an anthology series. Because, um, yeah, um, I, I think that this is a better show for her than that. Um, I do. I do wonder, though, one of the questions that I have, and I, I don't think any of us will be able to answer this until the season is over, is what I would have done, or rather at least what I would have preferred i think and this is maybe a safe choice i would have promoted sunny and put fran in sunny's chair and Mm -hmm. i think that would have made a ton of sense for Mm -hmm. the show that we had already seen Mm -hmm. and and would have really worked but they didn't do that so i really need them to convince me why they did this instead of that i have to agree with you there 100 percent 
not only do they have to convince me, but they have to convince me why Sonny keeps turning it down. No, it just doesn't make any sense. And why he's being allowed to basically undermine every DCI that comes through. Because that, to me, was the thing that was, I think, the most obvious about episode one, is that if I had to say, you know, every every if every episode has a little mystery within a mystery that, that kind of gets solved along the way to the big mystery, the thing that, the mystery that got solved here is why are we on our third DCI and why isn't Sonny that DCI yet? And it's because he's refusing and instead he's choosing to stay here and undermine his bosses and basically turn the teams against whoever it is who comes in. And that's not healthy and that's not good. And the show needs to solve that. Yes. <laughs> Go to therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I really hope they actually do uh, a, a significant job of divi- of digging into all of Sonny's very clear emotional trauma because it's really like, it's upsetting yeah. on multiple levels. No, seriously, I need Sal to like put her foot down and be like, no, you go to therapy because this is crap. Like you're literally going to a, a, a cemetery and sitting there all night and then telling me you worked all night. <laughs> the heck? No. Sal deserves better. Um, See, you weren't around when he first, you weren't around when she first was introduced. Sal deserves better. Trust me. <laughs> I, I mean, she's got to go make her own show. This 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 season, so maybe she won't be around that much. Uh, was, was that our show? Do you have any other final thoughts? No, I th- I I think my final thought is that I'm actually very much looking forward to this season. In a way, I almost wasn't sure I was going to be before I watched episode one. Like when I when I I, I knew that I was going to look forward to seeing a new dynamic, but actually seeing it play out, even though this episode was so overloaded and confusing that I do actually, I'm really looking forward to the rest of season five and seeing how this plays out and seeing how they deal with the sunny problem and the just problem and where they go from here. Yeah, I pretty much agree with all of that. Although my thought is, is really that I can't judge this until I see more of it. Like this, this episode was fine and set up some interesting things and was confusing in a lot of ways and, and, had just a little too much happening for like a 50 minute episode of television. But and yet you're the one who figured out how they're all related. I don't know. Uh, no, I'm doing, I am. Up. Maybe you're like rubbing on. I don't, we don't know that that's true. I feel confident in that theory after talking to you, but it's the only thing I could think of. Um, I don't know. I, I really hope that it convinces me that this was the move instead of Sonny and Fran investigative and adorable. But, um, I will not know until I watch the rest of it. So we will have to see. Uh, Our plan is to come back and revisit Unforgotten after the season is over. So stay tuned. Um, I'm also pretty sure I'm supposed to remind you guys that if you feel, as I kind of do, that this season should probably be a binge, you can go watch all of it on PBS Passport right now if you don't want to wait for week to week and just want answers immediately. Public service announcement concluded. Annie, tell the people where they can find you on the internet. Uh, you can find me at Annie Bundle basically everywhere. You can find me at Miss Annie Bundle on Facebook. You can find pictures of my very fuzzy cat and their very fuzzy tails at Annie Bundle on Instagram. Uh, I am the associate editor here at Televisions, and I also freelance around the web. So if you want to know what I wrote this week, just follow me on social media. I favor Blue Sky currently, but that may change, you know, TBD. Huzzah. I am Lacey B, Lacey B, Lacey MB. I'm forgetting my own name <laughs> uh, on every social media platform. 
pretty much. And I am experimenting with all of them. So if you are too, come be my friend and hang out. If you just want the site and the pod, we are on social media at telly underscore visions on Twitter for the moment. And Televisions blog, oh, one word, on Facebook. If you like what we do, you can visit us at televisions.org for all of our news updates, listicles, recaps, reviews, thoughtful takes on whatever we were writing about this week, and much more. If you like it a lot, you can click on that donate button up top to help us keep making all this great content for your eyes and ears. That is our show. And here we are. It is fall. I don't know how that happened. Uh, but tis Linear the season. time. To, tis the season for um, pumpkin spice lattes, if you're into that. I am not, but it is almost black cat time, which I am very into. So just really embrace it because everything else is terrible. So why not enjoy it? Um, thanks for listening. As always, we really appreciate it. And we will see you next week.